Transform the way you hunt with the all-new Bay Cellular Trail Camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We were on episode 137 this week. And on today's episode, Dimitri and I, we were joined by Rick Bruley from Vapor Trail and Stoker Eyes. Rick has been with Vapor Trail for over 10 years, and he shares a little bit about himself and their companies. Rick talks about his upcoming Boundary Waters hunt, where he'll be there for two weeks, and all the details regarding what he will be doing and going after and when. We asked Rick about his whitetail hunting situation for this upcoming season, and it was really interesting to hear the way Rick hunts the metro Minnesota areas. And after that, Rick dives into two different Pope and Young whitetail buck stories, and then we wrap things up talking about whitetail calling strategies and experiences evolving around that as well. So really fun episode. Appreciate Rick for coming on this week. Before we get into this episode, I want to share with you a few discount codes that will help you save some money and get ready for the upcoming hunting season. And one of those is going to be from Black Rifle Coffee Company, which is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is right around the corner, and those of you that are going to be backpacking in, the instant coffee is the best. So use code ANTLER at checkout and save 20% off your purchase or your first coffee club subscription. Your next one is going to be coming from Spartan Forge, which is at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail hunting to deliver a truly innovative and science-based product to save you, the hunter, time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. Check it out over at spartanforge.ai and use code ANTLERUP to save 20%. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Another episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We are joined on the other line tonight by Rick Bruley of Vapor Trail and Stoker Eyes. Rick, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, man, anytime. We had the opportunity to, to chat on the phone a couple months back and keep tabs on mm-hmm. through uh, email and everything. So, yeah. Rick, man, we're, we're right around the corner for us whitetail guys. Some early season whitetail is going to start, heck, probably next weekend by the time, or even this weekend by the time this episode actually airs. Are you ready? Okay. Or, are you ready or what? Yeah, I think... Uh, I've been shooting quite a bit more than I have in the last couple of years. This time of year, we're so busy right now. It's hard to even find time. Um, but, uh, I, I drew a bear tag in the boundary waters of Minnesota. So I've really been shooting quite a bit. Um, despite probably not being able to take a shot more than 20 yards anyways, but still just been just getting some shots through and, 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm not as uh, spry as I used to be when it comes to my shooting. So I got to practice a little bit more to make sure that I'm, I'm hitting right. Nice. Well, uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, no pun intended, quit your crying and get it done, man. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good, dude. Well, welcome to the show, Rick. I, I appreciate you coming on this evening. Uh, l- let's do a quick little baseball card rundown bio of yourself. Uh, I, I know you've been at Vapor Trail for a very long time. So give a quick yeah. little, you know, brief description of, of your baseball card of, you know, where you're coming from, what, you know, what you love to do and, and all that. Sure. Uh, well, I grew up in Northwest Minnesota. Um, then, you know, went to school and on the other side of the state in Duluth, right off of Lake Superior. And uh, that's that's really when I started getting into into bow hunting. Um, when I was living in the Duluth area, I was shooting leagues, and all I had was a PSE Nova um, that I would shoot. But I shot it pretty good. Uh, went out hunting a lot, but never really had any success. And did some gun hunting with my old man on the weekends uh, in November. And that was about the extent of it. Uh, moved to Arizona, did a little bit of hunting out there, javelina, stuff like that, but not too much. And then uh, when I, I moved back to Minnesota, I started working for Sportsman's Warehouse. And then that's what really got me uh, back into it. Got a new bow, got a Bowtech Allegiance, the 2005. And then um, worked for Sportsman's Warehouse for five years or so. Gosh, it's been so long now, I can't remember. Uh, but I had established a friendship with the guys at Vapor Trail. Um, I'd actually drive up there to pick up sets of strings and cables for our customers. And they were just super busy one day. And I said, hey, you guys need some help. And they taught me how to build a bowstring right there. So uh, just did some part-time stuff with them for a while. And then uh, Borkman's Warehouse shut down. So I started building full-time for them and then just worked my way up into a management role and and so now here I am 16 years later, still working for them. And, um, my main focus now is, is all on, uh, I'm the creative director there. So my main focus is marketing, uh, and the social media aspect of everything. So it's been fun. Now, what really made you want to, you know, stick around in the hunting industry, you know, you've kind of been there, you know, throughout your career, you know, what really drove you to kind of stick it out in this industry and, and you know, really progress yourself through it? I just always had a passion, passion for it, uh, especially uh, bow hunting. Um, I, you know, I'm a graphic designer by trade. That's what I went to school for. And I, as I was uh, building bow strings for Vapor Trail, I was also doing some of the package design kind of on the side. Uh, and then it just kind of, the two kind of came together, uh, which was great because, uh, you know, from a design aspect, it really helps to know your audience. It really helps to understand, uh, you know, what kind of shots you need to take and, and where you need to have, you know, certain things, how they need to be juxtaposed in your design. So they kind of went hand in hand and, you know, just, you know, having a passion for it uh, just made it that much, much better. So Nice, dude. I like that. Now you... Yeah. Vapor Trail and Stoker Eyes, it's a, it's a new little partnership and, you know, ownership, I guess you could, you could say the last, what, year and a yeah. half now? Uh, so yeah. you could even 
talk a little bit about that aspect of things. Uh, I know you guys are just moving into a brand new facility for a, a pro shop. You could talk a little bit about that as well. So a lot yeah. going on, you know, you're saying it's, you, you're, you guys are really busy right now. And obviously with hunting season right around the corner. So what's going on at the headquarters of Vapor Trail and Stokerized? Yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride. Um, you know, Steve Font, the Fondy brothers originally uh, founded Vapor Trail and Steve sold the company uh, to a private investor. His name is Royal Lachlan. Uh, and he's been very, very involved uh, since the very beginning. He, he jumped in and we hit the ground running. It was uh, pretty wild. Steve really had a, had a vision to grow the company kind of slowly. And, and, and Rory was just like, let's do this. Let's, let's get this thing going. So, um, when the, when the opportunity for Stoker Eyes came about, you know, we have a longstanding relationship with Sean and, and uh, with Kyle. I've been shooting Stoker Eyes stabilizers for the better part of a decade. And, uh, you know, when, when the opportunity came about, um, they approached us. Uh, actually, they had communicated with, with uh, Jared Meyer, who was more commonly known as Ears, and he was just consulting for us at the time but um so he kind of brought it to the table and uh he the owner rory just had a few conversations with them and you know one thing led to another and the next thing i know i I was on leave Um, my daughter had just been born and i took some time off and during that time the acquisition had occurred and by the time i came back they had already moved everything all the way from pennsylvania into our facility that we were previously at yeah it's so pretty that's kind of how that all went down yeah that facility was pretty cool out in Swatara of pennsylvania have you had the opportunity to, to make that trip at all or were you just you show up and next thing you know you, you stoke arises in the building yeah that's exactly what happened <laughs> I, I didn't get a chance to go out there um the current general manager uh jake iverson aka hollywood is our current general manager for the pro shop um he had the opportunity to go there and then our aero rest manager kyle Morin was out there as well and uh um, yeah so i was kind of bummed out that i missed out on that but and i really didn't know how they were going to make it work because our previous facility was only about 12 uh 2800 square feet so we basically just had to build upwards uh, as best we could and get by and now with our new facility we've got over twenty five thousand square feet so yeah, that's crazy. quite quite the upgrade <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a big big upgrade yeah it, it was really neat because my dad and i actually a couple years ago got a our black was it the black three the prime black three uh bows yeah. uh, there a couple years ago and you know, Sean um, met him through a colleague of mine because they went to high school together. So we were, we kind of just hit it off. And, you know, from being from Pennsylvania, it was a pretty cool little friendship and relationship that we built. We still kind of text message each other once in a while. And uh, it, yeah. it's cool to keep tabs. And when my dad and I were up there, Sean came to the shop with Kyle and he set up the bows and he's like, let's go upstairs. Let's show you his, uh, where's, you know, stokerize how it goes down. And it was pretty cool because the my dad got the... Oh man, I think he got the M1 just like SS1 stabilizer and it was pretty cool because next thing you know, Kyle went up there, he made it, came down, he goes, hey, don't touch the sticker because it's freshly made. It was just a cool little experience for <laughs> yeah. him. He literally went upstairs, made the made the stabilizer and put the sticker on and came like the actual stokerized wording sticker on the, the stabilizer and brought it down and put it on his bow. So it was really, really cool to see like 
that happen in person like that. Yeah. 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 And those guys are great. Um, you know, like I said, I didn't have the opportunity to go out there, but I've, I've uh, spent a, quite a bit of time with them at the ATA shows in the past and, you know, just chatting on the phone, talking about hunting and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, good, good group of guys. And, um, we really wanted to, um, just make sure that we kind of preserve that philosophy that they, that they previously had with the company. So we're, we're doing our best to, to stick with that. Yeah. I, th- I think you guys are doing a good job just continuing, you know, continuing that as well. And, you know, talk about that new facility cause that's kind of brand new for you guys. And it looks exciting. I, that post from the other evening with the, uh, techno hunt that you guys do on, on certain nights and lights are off. Yeah. It looks, that looks like a killer time, man. Talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool to see even sometimes when I'm, when I'm in there, you know, it's just, a, it's a, it's an adult playground. You know what I mean? Um, I have to pinch myself just, you know, just the whole process when we first started and we were tearing down walls and, um, you know, we, we basically did everything for the most part. We just had some, you know, some, uh, other guys come in and there was a giant wall that had to be built for our 40 yard indoor range that, um, was beyond our scope. But, Otherwise, we were ripping out walls and doing drywall and plumbing and electrical and you name it. We were doing everything, getting that place set up. And um, we really wanted it just to be like a place like you'd really like to hang out, you know. So yep. we've got couches in there. We got a little fireplace. Uh, we've got like, you know, a coffee machine. You want some coffee, you can make coffee. Um, you know, so it's it, it's been a ton of fun. The range is it, it's uh the biggest range that we have in the area or the, the longest distance let's put it that way you can get about 41 yards if you're shooting across it's like 46 or 47 something like that so when we get three leagues going you'll be able to push it out a little ways and then like you said we've got the techno hunt uh 400 which is pretty cool the archery simulator it just it brings up like a there's over 700 different scenarios uh hunting scenarios with you know um, African animals and North American animals and even, you know, there's bugs and flies and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Uh, you can play cricket, like the dark game. Uh, so that's, that's a lot of fun. You'd flip a black light on in there so that you can see your pins and, and, uh, crazy. and you just, you just shoot at the blast. Yeah, I think we're in the wrong career. I'm yeah. starting to see all these hunting companies like Vortex, the, the amazing facility they have. They're always out there doing something fun during the workday. Your facility, you know, America's Best Bowstrings, they're they're shooting during the day and, you know, taking breaks from work. And, I, I mean, yeah. man, you can't beat that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. It, you know, I mean, it, it and it, it comes with, uh, you know, really a, a – a deep focus on making sure everybody else is taken care of during the hunting season. So that's the only downside. Um, it's hard to find time for yourself, uh, in that respect when it comes to hunting and, and things like that sometimes. But, um, with, uh, with the new act or with Rory acquiring the company, we've had, uh, we've had the ability to hire more staff. So then we're not, you know, we're not spread too thin and then now we can all get up and, and spend some time away and, and get out in the woods and do some hunting. So, I'll, been good. I'll say this, just going on the website and, and if you go on vaportrail.com uh, and you click on, it's like right above the logo on the left side. So I'm explaining this to our listeners there. It will say pro staff. And then the, the next thing to the right of that will say factory pro shop. Click on that and you will see some 
there's only four photos, well, five if you count the outside of uh, of what's out the outside of the building. But when you look inside there, that does look like a cool little hangout spot, Rick. So exactly what you said, a cool place to come in. Uh, man, that indoor shooting range just looks awesome. The lighting looks fantastic. And then, like you are, obviously, we both said the techno hunt uh, and all that stuff. That looks like a, a really cool place to come hang out. Friday after, after work, quick, before you stop home, go in there and, you know, go, go, uh, spend some money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. And if you Google the, the vapor trail factory pro shop, we've got several photos on there. And then of course we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. So we've got more, more imagery on there too, but you, it, that doesn't do it justice. I mean, you got, you got to come in and, and take a look. It's pretty cool. Sweet dude. So I know I, in years past, uh, you've gone out doing some Western hunts and had very successful, uh, mule deer hunts. Where, where is going to be your for, first hunt for this upcoming season for you? Um, this season, you know, whitetail is going to open up uh, September, mid-September. And I've got a few uh, places that I can go and I'll usually get a doe or two out of there. Uh, one place in particular is a winery. So they, they're trying to reduce the population as much as possible because they eat the leaves on the vines. And then, you know, of course that affects the growth of the grapes. So, they want us to try to get some deer off of there. There's me and one other guy that hunt there. Uh, and then I, I typically participate in our Metro hunts here in the, in, in the area. And this year, uh, I won't be able to participate, uh, simply because of the time that'll be spent, um, preparing for my hunt in the boundary waters, uh, hunting black bears. So. Dude, that sounds awesome. Talk about that because what is the process to go for that? Is that a draw? Do you have to put in for that? How, how does that hunt kind of get, you know, booked basically? So it, it is a draw and typically in the state of Minnesota, you're looking at, and I, I could be wrong here, but it's somewhere typically about three to four years to draw a, a bear tag in the quota area. And, uh, the boundary waters is technically a quota area. It's such a large expanse and, and it's a, it's a difficult area to hunt so that there's only 50 tags in that, in that space. Uh, and so I don't think a lot of people apply. Now, when I applied, I, I just figured I probably wasn't going to draw. I thought maybe I'll draw next year. Uh, but nonetheless, I was still planning on going up there for a couple of weeks with some of the best fishing in the world. So I wanted to go up there and do some fishing, just kind of get away for a while, um, rough it for a bit. Uh, it's about the closest thing you can get to, you know, wilderness uh, uh, comparatively, you know, to something out west. So um, it's right here in my backyard and, I happen to draw a tag. So here I am, uh, which is great uh, because it, it, it is a very unique hunt in, in the boundary waters. It's, they have a leave no trace rule. So you can't use traditional hunting methods like leaving bait. Um, we, we don't even have a, a, a season here for uh, with dogs or anything like that either. So uh, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. It's, it, it might be a little bit tricky, but I, I can leave scent those types of things. Um, the scouting that I've done, my plan is to canoe in roughly about four miles. There's a couple of campgrounds that, uh, that I can camp at. Uh, there's been some bear sightings at these particular spots. So I'm hoping that hopefully they're still there. Mm -hmm. um, the downside uh, for me is, is that I wasn't expecting to draw. So I didn't apply for an access permit. So to get into the boundary wires, you have to apply for an access permit the year you know like the february 
anywhere from February to March prior to the um, upcoming season. Uh, and they, they run out and they sell out quick. So if you don't get them, you, you can only do like day passes. So you can't do overnight, overnight sits or anything like that. So, um, after September 30, after September 30th, then you don't no longer need an access pass. So you can just go in. You don't need to have that pass. So that's what I'm waiting for. It's typically a little bit later in the season than you'd want to go. Um, but I'm just going to hope for the best. Uh, ultimately, I just want to go up there and spend some time, do some fishing, do all that. And I figure if I got a bear tag in my pocket and I can try to make something happen, just icing out the cake. So it's like a little staycation for two weeks, dude. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and October is one of the, one of the more difficult parts is, is if you do get a bear early season is that you have to, uh, you have to be really careful because of the flies up there. Um, and typically you're, you're pretty remote. So, you know, they recommend all kinds of things like bring, bring pepper up there so you can immediately cover the meat and pepper to keep the flies off. Uh, they recommend having 50 pounds of dry ice waiting in your truck, uh, so that you can, you can get the meat immediately on ice once you get there. Uh, but that'll be the nice thing about October is if I do get a bear, uh, it won't be quite as warm. There won't be as many flies. And so it'll give me a little bit more time to get that bear on ice. Now you did say you were, you, you did some scouting, you left some sense. Now are you running some trail cameras, trying to get some inventory, see if bears are moving through that, that area closer to the time you're going to be hunting? Well, because of the leave no trace, you can't leave any cameras. Wow. So That's crazy. So, that, so what kind of, what kind of Intel do you, how do you rely on, you know, like you said, you, you've heard of sightings and all that type of stuff. Cause you know, for us here in Pennsylvania, when bear season comes into play, like for me, I'm, I always see black bears when I can't, when they're not in season. And then it's like next, next thing you know, it's like the next week they're in season and I, I stopped seeing them. Uh, so like for me, I, it's always so frustrating. I actually have a bunch on camera this summer, more than I would like to have on camera, basically. But, you know, how are you, because it's like you said, that's a little bit later for in your area, I guess that you would say to go after it, uh, after a bear. Yeah. So how, like, what do you use to kind of help you uh, kind of come up with a game plan? So uh, at this point, I've just been calling outfitters uh, and I, I've also been in contact with a couple of conservation officers through the department of natural resources mm-hmm. and they get reports of bear sightings. Um, and so then they're able to tell me where they are. In some cases they're, they're considered nuisance bears. And then in other cases, uh, I've been told that there's been some campers that have had some non-aggressive bears that, um, they're not afraid of people at all. They'll just walk right up to their campsite hang out 20 feet away and just wait for them to throw some scraps or wait for them to leave and try to, you know, they'll steal your bags or they'll, you know, so you got to be real careful, obviously, like you would anywhere. You got to make sure you, you, um, stowing all of your, um, food items, you know, up, uh, uh, hanging off a branch somewhere where a bear can't get to it, but they still, they're, they're pretty savvy. So they still, they still get people, um, as far as getting in their food and all that. So that's been my main resource. Uh, just getting hold of some of the some of the canoeing outfitters uh, that ha- that get reports back from some of their clients uh, as to where there might be some bears. So that's my that's my best bet, my best chance. 
Nice. Now, is, is there any opportunity for deer hunting up there while you're there? Yes. Yep. I can hunt deer as well. Um, I'll also have my shotgun with me. I can do some duck hunting uh, while I'm up there also. Now, what is your game plan as far as bear hunting when you're up there? Now, you're typically going to be glassing. You said it was pretty thick. Your shot's not going to be over 20 yards. You're going to be glassing, spot and stock. You're going to be sitting on trails. Like, what's the game plan, at least what you think, going in there? So, probably my best bet is going to be uh, doing a burn. Um, so, glassing is... Like again, it's it's so thick. There's, I'll have binoculars, but I doubt I'll ever I'll ever use them. I mean, the the only real purpose I would have for them is just to maybe size up a bear just to make sure. But again, I'll be in such close proximity that um, I should be able to assess. And to be honest, I don't know that I'll be real picky either because it'll be a miracle even <laughs> if one comes in. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll, I'll probably just do a burn of some sort. You know, there's all kinds of different things that you can do in that respect. I, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but you, you know, just take like a coffee can, throw a bunch of marshmallows in there and some honey and some anise and throw it on a burner and just, and let it cook and hope that the, you know, that scent carries uh, into an area where a bear may be and, and get them, get them to come in. Now, again, I can, I can go up there and I can leave scent. So, um, I'll be getting, uh, some, there's a product called caramel extreme. And one really good technique that you can use with that is you can mix it up with a little bit of, uh, like fryer grease. Um, there's a, a restaurant, uh, real close to here that, um, they save some fryer grease for me. So I'll just bring a little pint of it up there and you can pour it over a log. Uh, and if a bear gets into it, uh, then they'll track that grease around and then hopefully other bears will catch that scent as well and hopefully bring some in. To, at least to investigate the area. And then my plan is to do the burn in that same location. And hopefully they come in. Man, I just, I love the fact that you're saying, like, you could go for birds, you could go for whitetail, you could fish, and the bear, it's like yeah. literally everything. You're just missing the elk and the mule deer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. just, man, two two weeks of doing that, man. What Any, any other gear that you plan on bringing with you that you hopefully – already tested out or you would like to test out before you head out there? Yeah. So because I'm going to be back so far, uh, you know, I want to take as much of a minimalist approach as I possibly can. So I did invest in a, a tree saddle and, um, I've had an opportunity to get it in the tree in my backyard and I've gotten up to about 15 feet and just been shooting at my Glendale target in the backyard. And, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I really look forward to putting it, uh, to the test when I'm actually out in the field. And, um, my only, my biggest concern is, is, is like I'd said before, is it's, it, it gets so thick in there. Uh, and generally speaking, you kind of want to be in, in a thicker, darker area for the bears. They feel a little safer. And so if I can't find a good spot to put the saddle up, I'll probably just I'll probably just put together a, a, a little ground blind out of, you know, some of the, some of the foliage and um, fallen trees in the area and just shoot off the ground if, if that's the case. Well, I think even with this, the saddle approach, I mean, thinking of that area, you don't have to be 15 feet to hunt that area and especially hunting with bears. I mean, you know, you talked about all the setup that you would have to do to make a ground blind, but I think if you find a big enough tree, if you're, 
three to five feet off the ground, just enough to get elevated a little bit, uh, you know, and then yep. you have the security of the tree in front of you where you can kind of peek out when, you know, if you have a bear coming into, you know, I think that would yep. be a great strategy in some sort of thick cover like that. Yeah, that's actually a great idea. Yeah, and, and like you said, keep me up off the ground and, and uh, it, the, the weather can change on a dime up there too. So there's a good chance it's going to rain a lot. <laughs> well, that exactly what Dimitri was saying. My, that's ex- I couldn't agree more with that because I even think for say during here in Pennsylvania when people do drives and do all that type of stuff, like when you get set up on an opportunity. I mean, for ninety nine percent of people are not carrying their saddle in on drives, but I, I've known people that will just even take their old tree stand back in the day and put it up like as high as they could basically step up onto it and stand up higher over brush or mountain laurel or whatever, have it just to get a better shot opportunity. But like in this situation, like Dimitri said to you, Rick, you get in that position where you're over that thick brush and you still have that tree between you. So it's not like you're sticking out like a sore thumb. That could be really Mm -hmm. an awesome game plan because when you think about it, the thing that's awesome about the saddle is being that lightweight, you know, it could go anywhere to hunt with it, you're not going to be married to getting up into a tree. Like most people are when you bring, when you're lugging around a stand and sticks and it's over 20 pounds, like you're like, I'm destined to get up into a tree. Whereas for a saddle setup, it's so it's half of that weight. So you could, you know, if you do need to hunt from the ground, you're able to, or if you need to get one stick up high and put your little platform on there, you're, you're, you're in the game. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's a really good tip. Uh, I, I've been just obsessed with, you know, just watching videos and, um, I, I didn't, I didn't know about the one stick method until just the other day. And it's just really intriguing. I'm like, Ooh, maybe I should try that, you know? <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so it, it, it's really cool. I, I love that it's lightweight and, uh, you know, back in the day, my lightweight setup was, you know, a lone wolf, uh, climber. And I, I just got to the point where I, I kind of got tired of, getting into an area and, and being subject to a specific tree. Like I couldn't get in the exact tree that I wanted to get into. And that's what I love about this system is, I mean, it, it, there's not a lot that you can't get into. Right. No doubt about it. And you've, you've, we've talked now about this boundary water hunt, you know, and this just has my gears going about, you know, using your saddle for the first time this year, any other situations where you're so excited to maybe, get into the saddle and try it in certain spots because I know a couple, you know, months ago we had a, a previous guest on and he wanted to try the saddle out. And he's like, man, as we're going over different scenarios and when we would bring certain things up to him, he couldn't wait to try one out because he's like, man, there's so many spots now where I think I could get into and potentially like where I, he knew he could not get into an area with a, with a tree stand. So any potential spots like that, that you could think of that you're maybe excited about? Well, I, you know, I don't do, like I said, as far as being in the Metro here, it's, it's tough to, you know, public ground. Um, there's a lot of people on public ground and I know a few people that can get into some really good spots and, um, they've got, you know, a few, uh, a few lists of bucks that they're kind of chasing after that kind of thing. Um, they have quite a bit of time to, you know, do their scouting and do their homework. And I, I don't have that same, I don't have that luxury right now. Um, so, 
the the one thing that I am a little bit excited about though is with those metro hunts that I uh, used to participate in last year. They just started to allow tree saddles. Oh, nice. Um, uh, but they, and, and I don't really know how they'll how they would regulate it. Uh, but the the rule is is that you have to have at least two years of hunting in a saddle under your belt for them to allow you to hunt. Uh, so that'll be one nice thing is that I'll, I'll have a year under my belt this year. Yep. And there is a particular spot. It's like, a, there's like a little Island, that winery that I hunt at. Um, there's this little Island that I see deer on all the time and, you know, it's pretty swampy. Um, but at the right time of year, you can get across there, but there really isn't any, um, good solid trees that you could really get a tree stand into, but a saddle would definitely work out there. So that might be a, a, a might create a good opportunity for me this year. And I'll definitely uh, be taking it out to some of those spots out of that winery so that I can, um, you know, get some, get some practice with it and, and hopefully even take a deer uh, early season out of the saddle just, just to get used to it and, and, and start to understand how they work a little better. Yeah, no doubt about it. What, uh, just speaking of Metro type hunts, any funny stories that you could share? <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, I mean, well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stories of, um, some really bad hunters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that, um, you know, we've had situations where we've had wounded deer, you know, run through people's yards, things like that. Um, but it, it doesn't happen a ton, you know, but there, there are some situations where that does happen. Uh, there, there was a time where, uh, you know, typically after the morning hunt, we all kind of just get together and, and kind of talk about what happened that morning. And, um, there's a group of us standing around the truck, uh, just talking and all of a sudden here comes a buck comes running down, uh, the, the homeowner's driveway and leaps in between all of us, like there's, I think mean, it was like four of us just leaps right through the center of us. And as he, as he, as he leaped through, you could see that he had a wound on his back leg. And so he had been shot by one of the hunters in the hunt, but he obviously shot it a little far back yeah. and we spent the day tracking it. Uh, and we did find it and we did recover it. Uh, but that's, that's probably about the wildest story. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Aside from, uh, we've had some anti hunters, you know, come out and, you know, uh, pick it before, before a hunt, we get out to the spot and, um, they're out there harassing us, stuff like that. That was uh, several years ago. And there was actually one other incident where, um, they had done their homework. And when we got, uh, into the spot, all the hunters kind of pull into the uh, parking area and there was a huge pile of corn in the middle of the parking lot. And so the gentleman that was coordinating the hunt parked his truck on top of the corn and just said, okay, you know, just everybody go out and hunt. And as the sun started to come up, all the hunters uh, uh, could see piles of bait uh, in the vicinity of their stand. And it wasn't too long after the sun came up that uh, the coordinator of the hunt got a phone call uh, from the DNR somebody had reported that we were all hunting over bait. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. Cause in the state of Minnesota, you can't, hunt, you can't hunt over bait. So right. yeah, that was obviously the DNR agent, you know, he, he knew what was up and luckily our cord, uh, our, our coordinator of that hunt just happened to be a police officer as well. So, um, so 
we were all good. I was going to say, you're yeah. in good hands. So you're in good <laughs> yeah. hands for, for that situation. Just, yeah. man, I just don't understand. I, like, you're doing everything legal uh, by the book, and just people are just crazy, just nuts. Yeah. 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 My truck got broken into once, and I lost, you know, $1,000 worth of sick of gear. They just grabbed my bag, and that was it. That's all I took. They like, drilled the lock out, and yeah. Jeez. Kind of a bummer, but <laughs> I don't understand no. it, man. I don't. Well, <clears throat> dude, I I'm pumped for you for trying saddle hunting, and that uh boundary water just seems like a freaking vacation of of a lifetime for any any type of hunter. You know what I mean? You're going fishing. Yeah. You have the potential to to shoot some birds. You have, like I said earlier, you have all the potential to get a whitetail. And uh, man, that just sounds like a blast. And two weeks out there, man, go camp under the the stars and have fun with that yeah man yeah something about um you know putting putting all that uh meat in a canoe and then you know paddling it across the landscape and getting it back to the truck i know there's something primitive about that that i'm really excited to do and try you know you always see those photos of guys hauling their deer you know in a canoe i'm just like man i want to do that that would be cool so yeah dimitri you and i don't have many spots like that around here do we (laughs) no but you know, I was just thinking when he was saying that, though, you just think of all the times where, you know, no matter how you do it, canoe, you know, packing it out, uh, dragging it. But, you know, just that feeling when you when you get to your truck and you're just soaked with sweat and, you you know, you're riding that high of, of having that success and you finally get to the truck and it just like, I'm, I don't know, it's just unexplainable the feeling that you get at that point you know when you kind of unload it it's sitting there and you just kind of take a moment to really appreciate what we're doing yeah 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 for sure dude that's awesome what uh i know you a couple was it two years ago uh that you shot that big gold booner whitetail uh it was well it was it was 2017 so we're now five years out now okay Um, 2019 I got a a decent my second largest whitetail but yeah in 2017 um, I shot uh, he ended up being just 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 shy of 180 and then um, he had quite a few deductions so he ended up being like one six just under 163 um, net and uh, yeah that was a that that was in the metro hunt and um, he just came out of nowhere nobody in the hunt there was there's three other guys that hunt this property um that we hunt on and it's roughly 100 acres and uh it nobody had seen him he just he popped up out of nowhere and and uh he was chasing a doe it was the last day of my hunt november 19th to be exact and uh i just threw out a little call i got just a basic primos um buck and doe call and just did a couple of grunts on there and he spun around and he came right in so just and, a, um, so a roamer coming in on on your last day of hunt and and geez louise keep going man i love it yeah it was really interesting too because there so there was a smaller six point that had gone by um, and i was just watching him and he went across this uh swamp uh this open swamp grass yeah, it was about a hundred yards away. He went into the woods and then two minutes later out comes a doe. And so that I'm anticipating him to be right behind her. And then 
this buck comes out much bigger buck. So it was like, he went in a little six pointer and he came out a booner. <laughs> it, it, it was pretty wild. Cause it happened. It was so quick. And then, uh, and I actually was texting at the time and, uh, somebody, and then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, big buck gotta go. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he came right in and the whole time I'm just thinking, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe this is going to happen. And he came in, stopped at 19 yards, um, presented me with a shot, threw the bow back like I've done a million times, pulled the trigger, and it went right through his guts. Oh. Now, now what do, what do you do to, to in that moment when, when you say it's going to happen? Because we all go through that, and I know I do, especially, you know, you, you, you're seeing a nice buck and, and – and, things are just, you know, it's like one, two, three, things are clicking and he's just coming in on a string, you know, and, and the hard part, especially on a buck of that caliber, you know, I've never experienced that myself, but, you know, to really calm yourself down and, and, you know, when you know, it's going to happen, you know, that shot opportunity is going to come. Now, what do you do to try to, you know, calm your nerves, settle yourself down and really prepare for that shot just for you don't mess it up, which will typically most of the time, (laughs) what I do is mess it up. Well, I've had my fair share of of, uh, of mess up prior to that as well. But um, you know, the the one thing, and I can't remember who said it, or I don't know if it was Will Primos or or who, but it was, um, don't look at the antlers, don't focus on the antlers. Uh, and so that's what I just kept telling myself. I, I just kept telling myself, just don't. You know, you know, he's, he's coming in. He gives you a shot. You're gonna take it. And so I just try to, I try to stay focused on that. Uh, and, and to be honest, after I had shot him, my buddy, I texted him and he says, well, how big do you think he is? And I was like, oh man, I don't know, maybe like 140 inches. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously if you've seen the pictures, you know, I, I did eventually recover him. Uh, but when I sent him the pictures, he's like, I thought you said 140, that is not 140 inch deer. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I was shocked when I walked up on him. What was, um, what was your process? Like once you knew you hit him in the guts, did you know right away or were you unsure? What, like, just because the, you know, you watch TV shows, you watch people on YouTube, you read magazines, you listen to the experts, you listen to podcasts, you know, what did you do? Uh, maybe correct, maybe wrong. What would you change in that situation of the gut shot? Well, I tell you what, and, and I, I did catch a little bit of liver, um, you know, once we went through the uh, field dressing process. Um, but, it, you know, I knew it immediately. I knew it. As soon as I pulled the trigger, uh, I, I knew I messed up. And, um, and so he kind of bound off the same way he came in, and then he was just standing there and just kind of looking off in the distance. Um, and I'm just looking through the binoculars trying to see, is there any blood coming out? Is there anything, any sign? Um, and all I can see is he's just standing there and I can see his breath, you know, it's coming out of his nostrils and he's not breathing super heavy. He doesn't look like he's in any, uh, you know, uh, fatal, uh, pain or anything like that. Uh, and so I just watched him for a while. He stood there for, I bet 10 minutes, didn't move. And then finally started to move away and he was moving slow. 
And then he went in, basically went right back into the woods where I originally saw him come out. And so I'm texting the coordinator of the hunt, who is a good buddy of mine as well. And so then he proceeded to kind of talk me off the ledge, you know, just asking me questions, trying to keep my mind occupied so I don't do something stupid, get out of the tree and try to go, you know, just do something that could, could booger everything up. So, you know, where do you think the shot was? How far was it? You know, just keeping me occupied and, and keeping my brain processing things. Um, so I'm not focusing on the fact that I just uh, had the worst shot of my life on the biggest deer I've ever seen. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so we basically just, I waited for a couple hours. We, uh, I went back, met my buddy at the truck. We went to McDonald's, had breakfast and just waited till probably waited till about an hour before sunset. Uh, and then went back out, started following there. There was a little bit of blood. So we were able to follow blood for quite some ways, quite a ways. Um, and then we started getting into some of the neighborhoods, um, where we had to start knocking on doors and asking people permission, you know, just letting them know what we were doing. And, uh, and as we were doing that, I was standing at last blood and my buddy who was ahead of me, probably 30 yards or so, uh, yells to me, he says, he just got up and he's moving back towards your stand. And so I quick grabbed my bow and I just took off and I started, I made this big circle to try to get around him and get up, get up ahead of him. I didn't want to, obviously didn't want to push him. So I made a huge circle, went way around, uh, got into a position where I, I could have taken a shot. It was a long shot. I ranged him. It was like 72 yards and he was facing directly away from me, uh, which, you know, 72 yard shot like that is, not the ideal way to do it, but at this point, you know, I'll take, I'll take whatever shot I can get. And by the time I got the full draw, he was already in the woods and I couldn't see him. So once again, made a big circle. He got onto a trail that I'm familiar with. So I figured I could maybe get out in front of him and cut him off again, made a big circle, went around and then just waited him out. Didn't see him for, I don't know, it was probably 15 minutes starting to get dark. And he had gone into a pretty thick chunk of wood. So I figured he was probably just going to lay down in there. We'd come back in the morning. And so I called my buddy said, I'm just going to go get my stand. I'm going to pull it. It was the last day of the hunt. So I had to pull my stand. And as I was walking out, I bumped into him. And he was just, he was just standing there, probably hoping I wouldn't see him. Um, and I happened to catch him in my peripheral and Somehow I was able to remain calm enough to keep walking until I got behind a big cottonwood tree and then just kind of got ready, got an arrow knocked, drew my bow back behind the tree and then stepped out and he was facing me. And so I ended up having to shoot him head on. Um, and that second arrow buried in him and he bound about 15 yards and tipped over. <laughs> Holy cow. I just played that whole thing in my head, like visually. I'm like, this needs to be a movie right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, holy cow, it, dude. Yeah, it was pretty wild, especially when I when I called my friend Glenn, and I, I he goes, you get your stand down yet? And I was like, nope, I just killed him. He's dead. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so he was like, what? So he come running over and, you know, high-fiving and back-slapping. And, yeah, it was, it was 
pretty cool. And especially to walk up on him and not, not realize he's as big as he was. So that was, that was pretty cool. Man, that's crazy. And then you said then two years later, you shoot another nice big buck. That's, you know, just shy of that. Uh, it w- is that in the same area, same state, all that stuff. Similar area. Uh, yes. Just kind of on a different end of the property uh, that we hunt. And that was another last day hunt. And that was on November 17th, um, a couple years later. And he's like, he's a 140 inch deer. And, um, yeah, again, there, there was actually a, a much larger buck out there at that time. Um, there was a few homeowners in the area that had gotten some photos of this buck running around out there. We named him Lefty. Lefty had a big drop tine coming out of his uh, left antler and just an enormous buck. Uh, and I actually saw him on stand twice. Uh, both times he was about 40 yards out, but the first time I saw him, he caught me. Um, he, I <laughs> actually fell asleep in the stand <laughs> and I, uh, I opened my eyes and there was a doe and two fawns, I don't know, 15 yards in front of me on, on the trail, um, that I was hunting off of. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to let this doe have it. And so I slowly stand up and wait, wait for my opportunity to grab my bow, get to full or, you know, trying to wait for the opportunity to get to full draw. She keeps looking back. And I'm like, what the heck? So I look over where she's looking and there he is. And he's been watching me, you know, stand oh. up, grab my bow, <laughs> doing all this stuff. So he's looking right at me. And um, then all of a sudden he just, you know, I just see these trees of antlers swing around and he turns and then um, pretty much does this big circle around. Uh, and I never had an opportunity to, to get a shot. And then the next day he did the exact same thing. Um, he didn't, I, I caught his movement before, um, before, uh, he was able to catch me, but I think just, you know, I don't know. I think seeing me the day before, I'm sure he was pretty cautious. So he just did the same thing, made that big circle. I never had an opportunity at him. Uh, but then the last day of that hunt, this other buck had come through and I snort wheezed at him. And he came right in. I mean, literally came right to the base of my tree. Uh, and then finally walked out about 15 yards, gave me a shot, and I let him have it. Nice. Now, I know I want to see if Dimitri's, Dimitri's thinking of this right now because I know he ha- he's he been doing a lot of, uh, you know, taking notes over the last, you know, almost three years now we've been doing the podcast you said November 19th and November 17th, you got some good buck movement. Does that seem to yeah. be like a really good prime time for, for you? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, my theory is, is that that they're trolling at that point in the season. Uh, cause both of the bucks that I've taken, uh, at that time too, were very ragged. Their, their hindquarters, <laughs> there wasn't a lot left on them. Um, and so I think, you know, they've probably bred most of the does in the area. And now at this point, they're, they're just trolling. They're trying to find any last hot doe they possibly can. So if you're lucky enough to have a hot doe come through, uh, they're going to be on her. Um, and, uh, it's been a good time for me. It's, even when I go out, you know, when I, uh, when I go out to the Dakotas or when I've gone out west, uh, that week before, um, 
Thanksgiving and right around Thanksgiving has always been really productive for me for mule deer too. So. Yeah. Were you thinking that Dimitri? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, just listen to the, the Steve Shirk podcast uh, with Exodus. I mean, that kind of lines up with what he was saying that, you know, you got a lot of activity that, that early November uh, to about, what did he say about the 12th? And then it kind of slows down for a week, and then it kind of picks up with that exactly with those dates that he was kind of, you know, uh, speaking about, which, you know, is pretty similar. He's Steve was kind of always intels in PA, and then you're in, you know, Minnesota. So pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah. Always, any, any uh, you know, techniques or any specific things that you guys try to do different in those metro-type hunts compared to, say, what – you know, Dimitri and I are doing out here in the, you know, the big woods mountain area. <laughs> yeah, it, it is very different um, in that, uh, you know, they're, they're used to human scent. It's, it's coming from every direction. Yeah. Um, and so playing the wind, you know, you know, we, we've got specific spots that we pick out that we know are, are going to be most productive because the purpose of those hunts is, is to reduce the deer population. So we're really trying to eliminate as many does as possible. Um, and as a reward, of course, we want people to be able to uh, shoot a buck as well. Um, but yeah, I, as far as that goes, it, you kind of take a lot of what you learn in, in the traditional sense and you can kind of throw it out because like I said, um, you know, some of these hunts are in city parks. And so there's people that come through that they, they don't shut the park down during the hunt, but they do tell people to stay on the main trails and stuff like that. Um, so it is a different style of hunting for sure. And, you know, wherever you're sitting is where you're sitting. It doesn't matter which direction the wind's going that morning. You're, you're just going to sit and sit it out. And uh, a lot of times it's kind of feast or famine. You know, usually you got one guy who's, who's killing everything and then you got a bunch of other people that haven't seen anything. So it can be, it can be tough to hunt them. I've hunted them for uh, over a decade now. Um, and I don't know if it's just that whole thing of just putting in your time and then all of a sudden, you know, mother nature just decides to, you, you, you put in your time and now I'm going to start putting deer in front of you or what. But, um, you know, the first five or six years I, I would sit and not see anything. Right. Um, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe it's that I'm more experienced and I'm a more skilled hunter, but I, I, I can't really say that I do anything a whole lot different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but obviously I, I wash up and do all those kinds of things because even though there's human scent and there's a lot of it in the area, I want, I at least want them to think maybe I'm farther away than, uh, than they think. So always really conscious of that, you know, and then just tr- trying to use some sense here and there. And, um, I'm getting better with calling too. Minnesota's a, a tough state to call and rattle because our buck to doe ratio is so out of whack that, um, calling and rattling and that kind of stuff doesn't typically um it's it's not typically very productive uh but again maybe it's because i just didn't know what i was doing i you know in the past but um both of these bucks i called both of what bigger whitetails that i've uh, killed so far i've called in uh but again it's in that later season when they're when i'm i'm certain they're trolling and so they're kind of kind of in desperation mode so now, I always think it would be fun to kind of do that type of hunt, just, you know, hunting the big woods all the time and, you know, being in a little bit lower of a deer density population, just the, 
the probably a little bit more action that that you would have it would be probably a lot of fun compared to you know some of the type of hunts we do around here yeah because i mean you there's so much area uh for them to run around in you know over in the big woods and so there there's isolated pockets um here that that kind of keeps them a little bit more grouped up uh, so there is a lot of opportunities to see uh, deer i mean there's i've got buddies that um you know they've got little spots in the metro where they, they'll just go and just watch deer they you can't hunt them but you can see them you know and there's some there's some big bucks you know <laughs> that they get that they get pictures of that you could only dream to take but yeah that's like my dad's work area. No one's allowed to hunt on their property and you'll drive through at night and he'll, Oh my gosh, Rick, he'll send me pictures of, Hey, yeah, look at this. And my dad's zooming in all the way on his cell phone. So it's so grainy, but at the same time you could just tell the caliber of this buck and it's just like, Oh my gosh. I, I mean, because they know they have, they have everything they need as far as their food, cover water, and there's just plenty of dough. So they don't need to really go anywhere. They literally just, it's like a, a farm raised deer basically. And yeah, no one's allowed to hunt that area. And it's like, I told, I keep telling my dad, go just cut a slit somewhere in the fence. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, cause it's not that far away from some public land uh, where, where he lives out down there. But uh, heck it's even like the other day, like Dimitri, just exactly what you said in, in our, you know, it's a lower deer density area. And, uh, there are pockets, Rick, like you just said, where it's an area that you can't hunt and I'm walking my dog and next thing you know, I, I just look up and I'm like, oh, wow, there's two, a big doe, and, you know, probably last year's fawn and then two fawns and they're just staring at me and I look a little bit past them in, in some timber and there's like another group of, of doe and I'm like, holy cow, eight deer right there and of course you can't hunt in that area and you know, Milo and I, we kind of, my dog, we just, you know, circle around. I'm like, let me just see if I could cut him off and see how close I could get. And I'm trying to like keep him as quietly as possible, telling him like to be quiet as he's huffing and puffing because it was warm out. And we got pretty close to, yeah. to some. And I was watching the other group that were behind. They, they didn't run off like the first group that really we kind of got close to at first too. And the second group, yeah. I just watched them, how they – work through the woods and just learn and just, you know, see how they could pick me up or not. And we just backed out and I let them go on their own way. But man, it's just like mm -hmm. you said, I, it would just be cool to know, obviously you go out most of the time and you have either one an opportunity or you're at least going to see a, a good amount of, of deer, because I don't care if I see a fawn, uh, a, any, any whitetail when I go hunting, even if it's from afar, it's, it's at least it, it makes it uh, so much more enjoyable coming home and telling the missus, yeah, at least I saw something other than saying, no, I didn't see anything. Cause then that's when uh, it gets really <laughs> annoying on their end. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Big time for sure. And it's like, so now what are you going to go back out tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to go to a different spot, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. But, and then it's like, when you shoot one, it's like, okay, you're done now. Right. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I love the, well, till I, tomorrow, I, yeah, till tomorrow, I still have three more tags to fill, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I, you, you get that though. You're a family, man. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. It, you know, it's, it's pretty awesome though. You know, she, my wife, she likes her time too. She loves camping. She loves the outdoors, all that kind of stuff too. So she's, she's not a hunter, but, um, one of the things on our bucket list is she wants to go elk hunting. Just, you know, she just wants to hang out. Uh, so hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll have the opportunity to do that. But 
she appreciates it, you know, but of course, you know, we have, we do have a two year old, so still gotta, still gotta make sure to keep that balanced for sure. So, yeah. That's cool, man. I'm at, my daughter's at the age right now where she wants to try it. And, uh, our Dimitri and I's buddy dropped off a, a, a crossbow because she cannot pull back the, you know, the legal limit of weight on a compound bow. She does have a compound yeah, bow. She sure. loves shooting. So, and I think still the 243 rifle for her is still a little bit too much uh, right okay. now just because she's very little for, for an uh, mm-hmm. eight-year-old right now. But, you know, maybe we could get her set up with this, this crossbow, give, give her a shot with it. And, man, she wants to mm-hmm. do it. Like, she's like, I'm killing a deer. She's like, I want to kill a bear. She's all for it. <laughs> and she wants to shoot a turkey. In the, cool. She wants to shoot a turkey in the face. Like, she's all about that. And so, you know, she, I don't know, she's, she's very interested in it. And. Uh, she's even said too, she's like, I want to, uh, she bought her cousins and stuff and, and, uh, Dimitri's little boy. She's like, I want to show Maxim too. And you know, all that stuff. So she wants to be a, a, mm-hmm. a, a cool example for the young kids. And, and I, I love that, uh, about her, but we'll see when the moment really comes and, and go from there with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really cool. I had a, um, I had a proud dad moment the other day because this time of year, uh, mushroom hunting is, um, pretty solid. And so there's a strip of woods right across, uh, the street from my house here. And, uh, the neighbor, he's like, yeah, go ahead, go in there. You can pull as much, you know, firewood out of there or whatever you want. So we were just walking around looking for mushrooms and we found some, uh, crown tipped coral mushroom, which is edible. And we found a ton of it. And I was like, I wasn't prepared. So I was like cutting it off and putting it in the cargo pockets of my pants and just got them all loaded up. And, um, the following day, my wife sent me a picture. Uh, my daughter had been kind of milling around in the woods in the backyard and came out of the, came out with handfuls of the, of the crown tip coral mushrooms that she had found in the woods. So I was like, <laughs> all right. Yep. <laughs> Started them. That's awesome. that. That is awesome. I mean, heck, it's even <laughs> like I love when uh, Dimitri was like, "Watch this." When you're like Maxim, you know, when when deer around, you know, when he was even younger than what he is now, and he'd put up the finger. You got to be, shh, you know, you got to be quiet. And oh man, I, I love it. I just love seeing the yeah. the kids get in, get into the the stuff that we're passionate about. I the the one thing that I do want to ask Rick, I want you to maybe to before we wrap it up to go back a little bit about the the calling aspect. Like Dimitri, what would you yeah. say for for you here in Pennsylvania? I, I man, it's like so hit or miss. Like I don't if you know if you have a gun to my head and someone were to say like, you know, what is, are are you good at calling or does it work here? Like I honestly would I would be hard pressed to say I have no idea because there are times when I I see it work at and on younger deer, but as far as like mature deer, man, it's, it's tough. I almost feel like it, it's, you know, you hear that every deer has its own personality aspect. It's like, that's the one deer that was looking for a fight, you know, and, or whatever. Uh, I think I've had mm-hmm. more, more deer encounters f- after like a doe call compared to rattling antlers. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't quite call it 50 yeah. 50, um, maybe like 30 40. I, I mean, it's it, there's been times where I've rattled and, and had a big buck come in, which hasn't happened very often, but you know, and I've grunted a couple, maybe I wouldn't call them, you know, middle class, middle uh, size bucks here for Pennsylvania. 
Um, I never really had too much success with the like doblets or anything like mm-hmm. that. So, you know, I think it's just all situational. And then I've had times where I thought a you know a buck would would be coming in, and he kind of took off running after he gave a couple grunts. So yeah. you know, it's it's kind of like you said, situational. Um, I don't really try to do it unless it's kind of like a like a Hail Mary kind of uh, aspect where maybe the buck's kind of tailing off and, you know, maybe it's getting towards later in the season and, you know, it's the end of your rutcation and you're not going to hunt that area much more. Uh, you know, obviously going to throw some grunts or some rattles in to try to bring them in for a shot opportunity. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was able to snort wheeze a pretty – pretty mature buck uh in uh that was a couple years ago when we were kind of having that crazy rut activity in that one spot um but the only problem was is he he circled the wind was pretty steady in one direction circled downwind and you know kind of caught my wind before he was in range so that happens a lot more often i think uh for me if i do get one to kind of come in and it's a mature buck they're always circling downwind and they're always just you know, 50, 60 yards out of range. And then eventually they're going to pick up your wind. Yeah. And that's like, I would think back to that same, no, it was a year prior to that when that one buck, uh, around that area that we would hunt, I had him on camera. He was by himself. I think it was that, that 10 point, that weird, smaller 10 point that we had. Mm. And I remember seeing him by himself and Rick, tell me if this kind of, if you, if you notice this, so this buck was by himself kind of working his way uh, through the timber and I gave a bleat call. And when I did that, he literally stopped in his tracks. And when he did, I, I gave it a couple seconds and I did another one and he, he did, he circled a little bit downwind and he worked through the, the timber and I wouldn't have had a shot opportunity on him if, you know, if I still had my buck tag. Cause at that point I was just trying to fill some doe tags and but he did work around that one like edge, I guess you would call it, before it really gets thick and drops down to that water ravine area. That's mm-hmm. it was cool to see him do that, and I feel like that buck that was by himself. I, I wonder if I would have given like a grunt call or a rattling call. I I just I wonder what he would have done. You know what I mean? In, you know, in hindsight, like you wish you could do both. Sure. You know, like all three scenarios, which one would, would he have reacted to the most? And again, he was working away and I saw him in this like open timber fieldish kind of area. And as soon as I did that doe bleat, he, he stopped on a dime and turned around and came circling downwind on that way. Like he was going in a whole opposite direction. So have mm-hmm. you like, what, what has been like your success if even on a little buck or whatever, have it, if you've seen a buck by himself doing calling? Well, I mean, I guess one thing that I learned, uh, and I think that this this might be the scenario in your case too, is that, you know, I don't know if you can really call too much, uh, but I, you know, I'm, I suppose that you could just be obnoxious and, and, and uh, you know, not really doing yourself any favors by calling too much. But I think one of the mistakes that people make is uh, deer have the ability to pinpoint the location of that call to your tree. I mean, literally to where you're standing. And if they come into an area and they, they hear the call, but they don't see 
a deer or see anything that might give them the idea that there's a deer, there's a good chance they're not going to come any further. Um, and, and then also to Dimitri's point, oftentimes they're going to circle downwind, they'll catch your wind and then they're gone. Um, so that's one thing that, uh, I've noticed in the past with some bucks where I'm like, man, he's just like 70 yards out there and he's, he's looking over here, but he's not coming over. And then, so then, you know, you, you'll, you kind of start getting, oh, they're going the other way and I get panicky and then I start throwing some more calls out in a panic trying to get him to spin around and come back. Well, at that point it's already too late because he, he doesn't see another deer. Right. So he's not interested. Um, you know, in the particular case, uh, of the, uh, of the, uh, Boone and Crockett buck that I shot, he was far enough away and he was in or through enough brush to where he had to get in closer to investigate. And once he started coming in, I, sh- I shut up. I, yep. I, I didn't say it. I didn't do any more calling at all. Um, and the same thing goes for the buck that I killed in 2019 is he was, he was through enough, um, enough timber where he, he couldn't quite see what was going on. And when I did that snort weave, again, he came right to the base of my tree to the point I didn't even have a shot. Um, so I had to wait a while for him to get into a better position. And so I think that's, that might be one of the things, um, you know, that there's been cases where, I couldn't get a buck to come in and I'm like, Oh, I think I need, I need, you know, maybe if I had a decoy or if I had something that was there, or if I could, if I was on the ground and I could be scratching the ground or making some noise or, you know, something on the ground, um, where he can't see where the buck can't see the movement and it would force him to, you know, come and investigate further. Um, so I think that's one of the, one of the things, you know, you, you throw a doe bleat and, um, you know, that buck was probably just, you know, kind of looking in that direction um, that he heard the sound come from, but he never really saw an actual deer. So he didn't come in. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that even makes me think of a lot of the guys from the hunting public. Like you watch some of their calling sequences because they're usually ground hunting. And I mean, there's two of them on the ground and they're banging the ground and the leaves and, you know, scratching trees and then hitting those antlers. I mean, when you're watching that, you're like, this is insane that they're even <laughs> trying to do this. But I mean, yeah, it, it works. You see, see the success that they have with it. But then you also think about if those were two deer, I mean, that's exactly what it would sound like too, if they were going at it. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're actually yeah. making it more realistic, but when you're first kind of seeing that, so it's because it, because it's so untraditional, I mean, it's just mind blowing. that it's like, I can't even believe someone would try that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you got to imagine too, that, you know, they're so in tune with their surroundings and everything that's going on. They know what a set of rattling or what, you know, two bucks fighting sounds like. And it's not just two antlers crashing together. It's leaves getting kicked up and branches breaking and snorting and, you know, all kinds of different things. So again, you know, they may come in to investigate, but at the same time, you know, especially a mature buck may may be like, well, yeah, I don't, it doesn't sound, it's not quite the same or, you know, who knows? You know, I, I don't, by any means claim to be an expert, I guess it's just kind of based on, on my experience. And then, like you said, the hunting public you know some of the stuff they do is wild and you wouldn't think that you could get away with that but it works yep well that's man a couple years ago uh with that tree thrasher deer call was released uh the individual unfortunately didn't he 
pass away? The guy that made it? I don't know. I think he did. You know, that's like that one little, uh, like, deer call where it sounds like rustling leaves. And you could, uh, you know, you could almost have, like, your grunt tube in your mouth and have this almost like a uh, accordion going and it will sound like leaves <laughs> rustling. And I, I mean, I, I, I never gave it a shot, but I mean, who, who knows? Maybe that would, could be something just cause like you're saying, you're up in the, up in a tree, whether a saddle or a tree stand, you know, you, you we mm-hmm. bang the, these horns all day. And like you said, like a deer will come up to it and, and stop maybe 50, 60, 70 yards. When they look, they don't see anything, but if they hear like the rustling of the leaves that go with it, then maybe it's, I don't know, more realistic, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. And you know, certain times of, you know, different, uh, phases of the rut too are going to, are going to play a different role in that. You know, if you've got a buck that's really excited, he just comes barreling in, mm-hmm. um, you know, and doesn't even give himself the opportunity to really try to find out, find out what's going on. I mean, obviously it works, you know, people do it all the time. Yep. Uh, but then I think that there's also some scenarios too, depending on time, time of the rut and all those, all those other factors that, that play a role in whether they're going to, you know, close that distance or not. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Oh man, dude, Rick, I appreciate you, man. Coming on the podcast this evening, spending an hour with us and talking stoker eyes, talking vapor trails, some, some cool Metro Minnesota bucks. And obviously your boundary water hunt that you have coming on. And and obviously the deer call, that was a cool little, cool little thing, man. Anything else you want to touch upon before we, we call it quits for this evening? No, man, I, I think that's about it. You know, I just, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, good chat with you guys. Good to meet you. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you guys got, uh, I'm sure you guys got plenty of hunting coming up this year. So I, I wish you guys the best of luck and keep in touch. Let me know what's going on. Send me pictures and, and I will do the same. Thank you, man. Good luck to you. We appreciate all the support, dude. And it means a lot to us. And, Thank you. And, uh, just a quick shot, like, you know, just a words. I don't know if you saw, followed along. I, you just followed us on, on, uh, Instagram. We just signed with the, uh, sportsman's empire network. So we're, we're part of that network with Dan Johnson over there from nine finger chronicles. So we're excited to be part of the new network and, Everything will stay the yeah. same. We're, we're dropping every Wednesday, which is great. But, uh, you know, now we're just going to be a part of this network and we're excited to, to be a part of it. Yeah. 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 And I, I'm in tune with you guys. I, I, you know, I just recently followed you with my personal page, but obviously as our social social media marketing manager, I've been following you guys through the Vapor Trail and Stoke Rise page. It's both. So yep. oh, man. I, I see what you guys are doing and really appreciate everything you're doing for us. And, and uh, yeah. Awesome, man. Dude, well, thank you, Rick. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next week. Until next time, Antler up.